I want to testify to the creative power of God this morning. And if you are here this morning and you're here maybe for the first time, you made a New Year's resolution to be a part of a local church body and a community in 2024, we're going to kick this year off correctly. We're going to kick it off in the Word of God, and we're going to evaluate the power of God. We're going to evaluate His creative power because everything starts with God. Not just the Bible, but God Himself is the beginning of everything that our minds can comprehend. And for the next three weeks, we're going to touch on an idea that I believe can set the course and set the tone for our year of 2024. There's going to be so many opportunities just like this Friday night for, my goodness, 50 plus churches to come together and not be about one church, but it'd be about the kingdom of God. And when we talk about God, we're talking about something that we can, someone that we can understand to the extent he has made himself available to understand. But as we understand and as we get to know God, we realize that there is a limitlessness to who God is, that you can spend a lifetime learning about God. You can spend a lifetime evaluating the scriptures that speak about God, and it's as if you've just scratched the surface. I want to share with you a silly story. I remember when I finished my undergraduate work uh, at, at Anderson University. Come on, AU, let's go. And um, the, the sense that I had when I was an immature 21-year-old having graduated from, from undergrad was like, man, I feel like I know everything. And then I went to seminary, and I realized I knew nothing. I had a buddy who went on to get his doctorate in textual criticism, and I had this conversation with him, and he goes, oh, yeah. And then you go and get your PhD, and you realize no one else knows anything either. <laughs> and I thought that was a beautiful, funny way of really just grasping the reality of trying to learn about who God is and what he is like and his plans and intentions and, intentions and purposes are for his world. My invitation to you is to radically align yourself with God's purposes in 2024. That you have moved everything that is distracting out of your way to receive God's invitation for you to follow him this year. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to look at just a very small section of Genesis. Because you can spend a lifetime in each part of God's word and just get a small glimpse of the depth and the glory and the majesty that God brings about in his scriptures. A theologian once said that the gospel is easy enough for a small child to appreciate and grasp and receive. And is mysterious and deep and complex enough to stump a philosopher for their entire lives. And that is the mysterious and knowable God we serve. And so I invite you this morning into a three-week journey where you are going to get to hear Genesis, perhaps from a brand new perspective. Maybe you grew up in a church where Genesis was taught, and it was all about how God created, and there's so much value in understanding how God created. I want to invite you into the next three weeks of why God created. This series is titled Dominion. Dominion just means sovereign control. It means sovereign rulership, that God has sovereign control and rulership over his creation. And when, even think, when, when things look like they are out of control, he is still in sovereign control 
of all things. I want to give you a preview of the three weeks just so you know what to expect. This week, we're going to talk about that God created. Next week, we're going to talk about that God created me. And the week after that, we're going to talk about how God created me to create, or more specifically, to add value. Uh, Next week, you're going to get to hear from a brand new communicator in our community. He's not a new communicator. He's actually a a well-seasoned one, but it'll be the first time that he'll be communicating here in his church, and I'm I'm excited for you to to hear from him. But this week, we're going to focus specifically on that God created. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to your buddy, to your left and right, and I want you to say, listen up, pay attention. Everyone here? Everyone good? Genesis is the first book of the Bible, okay? Most people know that. Most people understand that when you think about the Bible, they think about that Genesis is the first book of the Bible because of the famous first three words of in the beginning. The Bible is made up of 66 individual books that reveal God, that reveal humanity's need for God, and reveal God's gift to humanity, specifically his son, Jesus. And I mean, if that's all you ever knew about the Bible, you would have sufficient knowledge of God's saving work in and through his son, Jesus. Now, despite what the opening statement says in Genesis 1, which literally means the beginning, the word Genesis, that word means beginning, it is the beginning of the Bible, but it is not the beginning of everything. That might be a brand new thought for you. So the question I want to pose to you this morning is, what was happening before God spoke everything into existence? What was going on? What was the agenda before the first three words of the Bible in the beginning? Did God have dominion and sovereign control and rulership over all things before the words in the beginning? God eternally existed before the beginning of creation. It's a mind-boggling thought. He has neither beginning nor ending, another mind-boggling thought. Therefore, God is totally self-sufficient and needs nothing more than himself in order to exist or to act. This is a God who has dominion. God needs nothing, neither the material universe, the material universe nor the human race, but yet he created both. So he doesn't need us, which is a sobering thought. He doesn't need the cosmos. He doesn't need the planets and the sun. He doesn't need the universe. And yet he created both. So the fact that God created anything at all suggests that he must have had some significant purpose in mind. The God who has dominion over all things that was happening in a pre-existed, a pre-created state must have had something in mind when he thought, I'll make things, I'll create things, I'll cause things to be. I want to touch on why a self-sufficient, self-satisfying God would have taken the time and energy and thought and intentionality to create anything at all. Now, you might think, like, Luke, is this like a philosophy course? I mean, what are we doing this morning? I don't understand. When we understand why it is God created, we begin to understand why God created me and you. 
And we, when we begin to understand why God created you and me, we'll begin to understand why he created us to participate with him and add value and create co-labor along with him in his invitation to be a part of his greater plans on human life and on the planet. So this is what I would like you to do this morning. I'd like you to either open up your paper Bible or either power on your Bible this morning. I want to promo our app for a second. You'll see on our app right there, the bottom right, you'll see a Bible feature on our app. And you'll see that the Bible is available in Genesis 1 right now. So if you would please open your Bible or power on your Bible, we have conveniently put the uh, first uh, chapter of the Bible uh, right there in the Bible app, like every Bible app does. So you don't even have to search for anything this morning. It's, it's right there. Genesis 1, 1 and 2 is where we're going to sit this morning as we unpack the mystery and the majesty and the incredible intentionality that this God who has dominion over all things, he begins to act. Now the word Genesis, it means beginning. The Hebrew word is reshit. Reshit means beginning. It is the beginning of what we can know. It's the beginning of what we can understand. But God eternally existed before the beginning that we understand. A God who's got dominion over all things. It says this, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Probably one of the most famous sentences in the entire counsel of God. Let me read it again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless, which is an odd thought, and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is a a beautiful, perhaps slightly mysterious, somewhat poetic introduction to the counsel of God here. I want to teach you what the phrase spirit of God means in Hebrew. The word there, spirit, is ruach. And ruach means breath or wind. It means life force, which can be misconstrued as kind of a new agey phrase, but it's really not at all. Ruach, God's animating, life-giving presence his life force because of his active presence. He brings all things to life. His presence brings animation to, to creatures. And so Ruach was what was hovering over the deep. My son and I, will often build, a, my son's two years old, but I kind of keep him back from the fireplace. My son and I will build little fires in our family fireplace. And once we get the fire set up, my son will watch me blow oxygen onto the small flames in the, the kindling and tinder part of the fire. Now, he has learned that if he participates and he blows too, he can see those little flames turn into big flames because oxygen feeds fire, right? And so my two-year-old son and I will get really close to the family fireplace and we'll begin to blow oxygen onto those little flames. It's awesome to see his eyes light up. He's like, oh, fire. I'm like, oh, no, you're going to be a pyro. Like, and so it's so fun to do that. Here's how Ruach and that little analogy are the same, is that oxygen brings 
power and life to a small flame and, and brings it roaring to life. The difference is that Ruach brings something to life and also provides the original spark. God's active presence brings about an animation to all living things in his proximity. In the beginning, we have God creating all things with his Ruach, his breath, the wind that comes, the life force that comes about because of his active presence in a space. And this is how the creation account begins. It begins with chaos and darkness and disorder and emptiness. And yet God's spirit, his Ruach is hovering over the deep. And then all of a sudden, the life-giving, energizing presence of his Ruach, his spirit, begins to take that disorder and that darkness and that emptiness and begins to turn it into something brand new. My wife is a gardener. My wife is a gardener, and she really enjoys gardening. However, every winter, the garden goes dark. It goes completely barren. Because everything has been picked off the tomato plants and everything has been harvested and all that remains are the dead stalks of the previous plants. The soil looks dark. This morning it was certainly frozen. And so a garden in the winter has a chaoticness to it. It's formless. It's empty. It's dark. It's almost useless. However, as soon as the spring sunshine hits soil... Even though that soil has been frozen and is chaotic and is in disorder, the sunshine hits that soil and the gardener cultivates the garden and plants the seed and the rain comes, it begins to take on new life and new shape and things begin to sprout up out of that darkness and out of that chaos. I want to invite you to meditate on the fact that all of our hearts are like gardens in the winter. Our souls drift into what could be described as a garden in the winter. You've discovered that you feel formless and empty and dark. And there's parts of you that are disordered. And there's parts of you that you want God to breathe fresh breath onto. Here's the good news that we discover in God's word. All throughout the whole counsel of God, he's inviting us to receive his breath. He's inviting us to receive his son Jesus' active presence in our life. And so if you are carrying in this room this morning, into this room, you're carrying this darkness or this hopelessness or this emptiness or this void or this barrenness, this garden in the winter... God's invitation is for you to receive his ruach, his breath that softens and, and melts and thaws. Even this morning as we were praying over the baptistry, I had a vision that God would say, like, Luke, you got to remember that although you can't control the weather and you can't control you know, who comes out to a weekend service, you know, which, by the way, the weather is the number one predictor for any worship services ever, and you can't control any of that, I want to invite you, Luke, to, to, to remember that my spirit thaws. 
my spirit thaws colden, frozen parts of people's hearts and souls. And I want to invite you to meditate on that reality that God's ruach, his active presence is being offered to each of you individually and us together corporately as a body of believers this morning. And if we would just have the courage to receive his breath, his wind, his life force that animates all frozen things to life. What part of your heart feels frozen this morning? What part of your soul feels like it's in a pre-created state, an emptiness, a void, a darkness? You resonate so much with what the the pre-created state was. It was formless. It was totally black and white. There was no color. There was no life. There was nothing sprouting up from that winter garden. Would you take a moment with me and just think and meditate on the frozen parts of your heart and soul that you've carried in to this space this morning? And would you give the Holy Spirit the permission to breathe Ruach onto that spot, bringing that spot back to life? Yeah, you see what happens in the rest of the book, uh, the rest of the first chapters of Genesis is that God begins to create all this beauty out of all of this chaos and disorder. And because of our abbreviated time this morning, I'm just going to kind of burn through like the highlight reel here. But for the next six days, God creates without any pre-existing materials, light, sky, land, sea and vegetation, the sun, moon and stars, bird and fish, every animal known to exist, and then eventually human beings, the crown of his creation. For any of you who have ever thought, why did God make me? It's because God loves to share himself. Because the God you worship and the God you sing to and the God you are interested in loves and loves enough to create, which means that he's created humanity. He calls us the crown of his creation. You are so important to God. You are so much more important than the animal kingdom around you. I'm like, I'm all for the animals, right? But you are so important to God because you are a human being. You were made in his image. We'll get into that more next week. Then on the seventh day, God rests. But God rests not because he ran out of energy units. It's not because he was tired. God rests because he relaxes and enjoys all that he just qualified as good. So he looks around, he goes, that's good, and that's good, and that's good, and good, and good, and good, and good, and then enjoys that goodness. This is why Sabbath is just so critical. It's not the point of this morning's message, but it's a little side plus nugget for you this morning. Think of Sabbath as the opposite day. Okay? If you work behind a computer in a desk chair all week, your opposite day should be like going outside and being super active, chopping some firewood, like doing some outside, anything that replenishes like enjoyment and joy and relaxation. And conversely, if you're like, if you are like you work in construction, you're outside all week, you're like freezing your fingers off, you should be inside like on the couch watching Netflix. It's the opposite day. It's the opposite day. This is why Sabbath is so critical, so that you can enjoy the good parts that God has bestowed onto humanity that we often take for granted, that we feel like we don't even deserve. 
We must be people of Sabbath because God rested, not because he was out of energy. He wasn't tired. He wanted to enjoy. He wanted to relax. This is why Genesis 1, and this is going to probably step on some traditional toes in the room, has virtually nothing to do with how old or how not old the earth is. Genesis isn't trying to answer that question. I'm all for like, hey, how old is the earth versus how young is the earth? But Genesis isn't asking that question or answering that question at all. Genesis is the first book in the Jewish Torah. We call it the Torah. The first five books of the Bible, Protestant Christians call this the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Bible. The Torah was given to a Hebrew nation at the base of Mount Sinai after they escaped from Egypt when Moses was meeting with God on the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days. So the first time this Jewish text would have been heard by a Jewish audience was at the base of Mount Sinai. That kind of changes some things, doesn't it? Now, why is that important? Why would it be important for Moses to bring down a different creation account for a Jewish nation to accept and celebrate? Well, you must remember that the Jewish nation, the Israelites, were in captivity in Egypt for 400 plus years. This is where they probably heard false creation narratives about angry, capricious gods that would change their minds about humanity when humanity's uh, sin would go up or sin would go down. Their appreciation for humanity would go up and go down. So all of the false gods that Egypt, Egypt would spin in propaganda to the Jewish ear would sound like, oh, don't, don't complain and grumble about being a slave. You're going to upset that false god. So when the Hebrew nation heard for the very first time that the one true divine triune God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, this one perfect God, the one true God made and created all things without pre-existing material from his Ruach, from his breath, that animates all things to life. The Hebrew nation would have heard, oh, you mean my value has nothing to do with my productivity? Because I thought I had to make more bricks as a slave in Egypt to satisfy that capricious, moody God that was spun when I was a slave. This would have been incredibly good news for someone captured in slavery. It is still good news today. Have you ever been traveling on uh, 65? And have you ever seen any of the churches that are on 65 uh, south of Louisville, maybe on the way to Nashville? Sometimes they'll promote their church by using the word full gospel. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. Full, this is what full gospel means. Full gospel means that the good news of Jesus starts in Genesis 1. The full gospel is the full good news that God has created you and me because he loves and he wants us to participate in his greater plans for humanity. 
So for any of you who have ever counted yourselves out as irrelevant to God, that is a lie from the pit of hell that the enemy has spun in your circles. You can reject that outright. Can I get a witness to the power of God to explain his gospel, his full gospel in his word today? Amen, that you and I serve a God who would take the time to reveal himself and reveal himself as good and approachable and loving from the very start. The Jewish creation narrative was an account for a Jewish audience that would have corrected previously spun narratives about those angry gods. And so here's what I'd like to promote to you this morning is a simple idea that you have all heard before, and it's that God created. God created. It is only because of the Greco-Roman linear logical way of thinking the Enlightenment has influenced us in the West to ask the question of how. It is us. We are the ones who are obsessed with how God created. And yet God touches on that ever so slightly and ever so lightly. It's that, it's that joke. It's that if you were talking to God in prayer and you said, God, what is, a, what, is a, what is a second to you? Well, son, it's a million years. Well, what's a million dollars to you? Well, it's like a penny. Okay, well, then can I have a penny? Sure. Just wait one second. <laughs> I realize how like, stupid of a joke that is. But it actually speaks to a larger truth. It speaks to that God has told us in Genesis how he created, but then doesn't really go into any other lengthy explanation of that said creation. He just said, I created in six days, and on the seventh day, I enjoyed it all. And we're super obsessed with that. Well, what, is, what does one day mean? Well, like, what about evolution? about this, what about that? And we get so distracted from the greater revelation that God created at all. And that he thought it was good that he made humanity to enjoy that creation. Nowhere in the Jewish mind are they asking how. They're asking why. Isn't there a show called How It's Made? If God had his similar show, he would call it why it's made. And he would be answering the greater question of why. The second creation account in the Gospel of John gets more personal and gets to the, gets to the why. So again, in your Bible, you'll see John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. You can open there or power there. It'll be on the screens as well. It says this. This is another creation account equally as famous as Genesis. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, the Word is capitalized. The W is capitalized. What does that mean? It means that there's a personification to it. It means that the Word is being personalized. It means that there's no separation between the active Word that is textual and the one who oversees it and has dominion over it, Jesus himself. 
there's a personification to the word of God. It's capitalized all throughout here. So let's read it again. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And here's the crazy thought. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That reminds me of, especially with Martin Luther King Day being tomorrow, Martin Luther King has this really cool quote. I'm going to quote the first half of it. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Jesus' participatory active presence brings the light into all of that chaos and that formlessness and that darkness that was in the pre-created state in the very beginning. Here's, here's where your brain might catch fire. The word beginning, in the beginning, has a Hebrew reputation for meaning firstborn. That means it could be read, in the firstborn, God created the heavens and the earth. The triune God of God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit, his Ruach, were all actively present in the pre-created state, creating everything without pre-existing materials. He has dominion over all things. So here's some critical thoughts. Um, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And with the personification of the Word, Word, that means that when you and I as Jesus followers open up our Bible and we begin to study the Bible and read the Bible and participate in prayer, in a real sense, you're, you're dining. That's the best analogy I can come up with. You're dining with Jesus. Because when you open God's Word, you're opening something that has a personality to it. You're actively engaged with something that has a personification to it. And yes, it is paper and written text, but it is also the words, the plans, and the purposes of the God who has dominion over all things. I have heard throughout my entire life, Luke, how do I hear God's voice? How do I experience God? And the answer is almost too simple, so it feels a little bit trite. It is open your Bible and spend time reading through the Bible. And even when you do not understand it, start asking questions about it. Journal about it. Get into a community or a course where you can work your questions out in the context of other believers. If you are an unbeliever and you don't know anything about God or about Jesus, the best place to learn about Jesus is his word. I had a professor in seminary once tell me that he knew more people who converted to Christianity in his circles of academia simply by reading the historical book of the Bible from a historical vantage point for them to be introduced to the Ruach of God, to be introduced to the active presence of his breath, that Jesus came to life in their soul simply because they read God's word. Be a creature and a person of the Bible this year. 
If you want 2024 to be a year like no other, find your nose in God's word. Find your knees on the ground in prayer. Find your hands up in worship. Be someone who's just like, I've got my Bible everywhere I go. I had a student years ago. I won't use her name, but she's such a sweetheart. Um, Years ago, when she was a student, everywhere she would go, she would tuck this big, big Bible under her arm. Like everywhere. And even into adulthood now, she's no longer a student, and she still attends here when she's back in town. She still has that big old brick of a Bible underneath her arm because she knows that it's her, it's her guide path. It's her light. It's her anchor. And whether or not she had it on her phone was irrelevant. She carries that sucker around. We need to be people of the word. We need to have an anchor for our souls. If you desire and long to know the voice of God, read the words of God that are in the scriptures of God. I know it sounds simple because it is simple, but you first must open up the Bible to do so. If you want to have the God that has dominion over everything to also have dominion over your soul, you must get to know what he is like. You must get to know what his intentions are for you and his plans and his purposes are for you. There's a personification to the word of God. When you open it and read it and study it and ask questions of it and ask the Holy Spirit to make it relevant in your life, you are dining in a sense with Jesus. And there is no one better for you to have a meal with than Jesus. This reveals something greater about who God is. We have a creation account in Genesis 1, and then we have a creation account in John chapter 1. They really feed each other in beauty and majesty and mystery. This tells us that the creator of all things is also the controller of all things. That might land wrong if you had a controlling mother or a father or a controlling manager. So it's important for you to know a greater truth that God is not controlling, but he is in control. Do you understand how I mean? That he's not controlling in the sense that um, would offend us greatly. Nobody likes a controlling person. Sometimes we don't like ourselves because we are the ones that are trying to be controlling. And we're afraid that if we get too close to God, we'll discover that God is controlling. But here is my invitation to you. As you get closer to the heart of Jesus, you'll find that he is in control of all things, but he is not controlling. He's empowering. He's inviting. He's loving. He's full of mercy. He's full of graciousness. His hand is always open in front of you for both provision and for nearness. He longs for you to long for him. And so for those of you who who are trying to get this year started strong, perhaps one of the best years best ways you can start your year strong is by, by keeping the word of God open, both in a figurative spiritual sense, but also in a literal sense. Keep that text open. Keep the Bible app open. Whatever it takes to be a person who's reading the words of Jesus, the full gospel that starts in Genesis 1 the creator of all things, that who is also the controller of all things, who is not controlling, but he is in complete and entire control. Last summer, I had the opportunity to go to the Speedway. And uh, every summer, 
there is a, an organization called the Indy Racing Experience that travels all throughout the nation, and they ended up at, in, um, at the Speedway in Indy in, in July. And it was a gift from somebody who invited me to go and participate in this experience. I've, I'm a fair-weather fan with racing. I, like, I turn it up in May, baby, like I'm ready for racing in May. When I got to the track in July and I got to hear the sounds of these race cars going around the track, and you could, you could feel the horsepower in their engines, like you could feel it in your body. And all of a sudden, the intimidation of what I was about to do really began to rise in me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I'm about to ride in one of these things. The Indy Racing Experience takes a car, they extend it ever so slightly, and there's two cockpits. And the driver sits in the front, and the passenger sits in the back. It was a remarkable experience. Now, in my, in my head, I thought, well, I'll just, I'm going to sit in the back of this car, and I'm going to be able to sit similar to the way the driver sits, with your legs completely extended, and maybe I'll have like a fake steering wheel to play with. Like, I don't know. I was really excited. Like, all the childhood stuff came up in me. I'm like, oh, I can't wait. That's not what happened. Instead, they stuff you in this like egg cocoon reality where your legs do not extend. Your knees are actually up against your chest and you're surrounded in this pod and it's for safety reasons. It's all carbon fiber and although the Indian racing experience has never had even a close call in their couple of decades of operation, they take no risks. So they put you in this pod where, again, your knees are up against your chest and they take two grown men and they strap you down like this. And you, I mean, you are in there. You are not budging from that spot. And you also cannot loosen yourself out. That's the way it's designed. So for anyone who's claustrophobic or a control freak, you, I mean, you're losing your brains. You're like, oh man, I thought this was going to be an amazing experience. I thought this was going to be awesome. So they strap you down and they give you no warning and the driver just hits the gas. Now, some of us are speeders in the room, but you've never sped to 180 miles an hour. And that's how fast these cars go on the speedway track downtown. And so as soon as my driver hits the gas and we begin to pick up speed, everything in me that is slightly claustrophobic but highly controlling gets exasperated. I'm like, oh, are you going to turn left in time? Are you going to turn left in time again? Are you sure we should be going this fast? This feels too fast. And for the first two-thirds of the first lap, they only take you on three or four laps. The first lap... All of my controlling tendencies are exploited. I'm like, no, I want to drive. No, I want to set the speed. <laughs> I, but I can't. I'm, I'm literally strapped down in this pod, and I really can't move. And I'm not in control at all. And it wasn't until the start of the second lap that I was able to relax enough to enjoy what I was experiencing which was speeds that I have never gone at before and will probably never go at again. And I realized that this driver has plenty of experience. This driver knows what he is doing. And he takes me on three more laps and I have a blast just looking around and enjoying this journey and enjoying this ride. Some of us are so 
taken captive by our desire to control things that we can't even enjoy the ride. We can't even enjoy this journey that God is taking us on because we're trying to control the speed, the pickup, when to turn left, when to turn right, because we want to be in control so bad. Here's the difference, is that if we want control, God will give us that control. He will. So that we will discover that we don't actually have that control. God's mercy and his graciousness is so pervasive. It's so scandalous that he'll actually give us what we want most so that we will discover that's actually not what I need or want most. You see, what I want most behind control is for a God to actually be in control of my life, to actually be in control of the outcomes of the things that I hold valuable, relationships, church, family, work. I want you to think about the things that you value. God values those things too. And he will give you control over those things if you want it bad enough. But my guess is that he knows what he is doing with those things better than you do. So my invitation to you this morning is to give control back to God, who is the controller of all things, because he is the creator of all things. And if you are going at speeds right now in your life where you want to control the pickup and the speed and the turns, but yet you really aren't behind the wheel, acknowledge the fact that God is behind the wheel. Acknowledge the fact that your, your God who has created all things from his Ruach is inviting you to trust him with this year for all of the things that you hold valuable, for all the plans that you have with your family and with your work, all of the goals that you have for 2024 are based on whether or not you have the courage to give control back to God. Here's a final thought I want to leave you with today. When you are trying to control things out of your control, you're trying to do God's job. They're out of your control. However, when you are controlling things within your control, you are being you. You're being you. You can control things that you can't control. You can control how you respond to the weather. You can control how you respond to your coworker, your spouse, your children. You can control how you spend your money. You can control these things. You know what you cannot control? You cannot control others. You cannot control their decisions. You cannot control your spouse or your children. You cannot control human hearts. Only God can do that. So perhaps this is the year where you give control back to the God who has dominion, sovereign control, and rulership over all things, including human hearts. As I close in prayer, I want to make an invitation for anybody who wants to take an active step of relinquishing that control in your life. The baptistry is about as warm as it's ever been. We turned up the heat. I want to invite any of you that are on the fence about baptism. I want to encourage you, start your year strong. There, there is something humbling about coming out of the water looking totally wet. 
you're like, you're soaked and your hair's, you know, that you did this morning down doesn't look like what it once did. And like you went back to change. And there's a, there's a measure of like relinquishing control when you get baptized. It's a great active step. If you've not been baptized or if you were baptized as a child, but it wasn't your choice, I want to extend that invitation to you today to become baptized, to start your year strong, to, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a greater picture of God's control over your life. It's an outward symbol of an inward decision that the God I sing to and serve really is in control of all things. So God, we come to you right now and we acknowledge that you create. We acknowledge that you love. We acknowledge that your son Jesus was actively present eternally before the opening words of scripture, a mind-boggling, mysterious, profound thought that you eternally existed before the first few words of scripture. And yet you've told a story where you and your son and your spirit are all actively present in the creation account in Genesis, where we see that the God who has dominion over the cosmos also is inviting us to your face. You are transcendent and yet you are personal, imminent. That is a mind-boggling thought, God. So, Father, I just pray for my friends in the room, my sister in Christ, my brother in the Lord, who is just wrestling with wanting to be behind the wheel, to control the speed, to control the turns, to be in control, and yet you've invited us to just enjoy the ride, to enjoy the journey, and to control the things we can control, and to look around a little bit, and relax and enjoy this journey that you've taken us on. God, we pray that 2024 is a year of greater breakthrough and greater insight and greater revelation than ever before. God, we pray that that you would fill our hearts, fill this church, fill this room with hunger and thirst for your presence, oh God. We pray for a mighty move of your Ruach, your spirit all throughout the year. May we be overwhelmed by what you have in store for our church this year. And God, we pray these things with great faith. And in your name, Jesus, we pray.